Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast. I tried to get this episode on on Sunday, couldn't do it, and now it is almost 11 o'clock at night, or probably, yeah, just past 11 o'clock at night on a Monday, and finally it's letting me download it. So here is Romans chapter 9, our next study in the podcast, in our adult Bible study that I record in class and then bring back here and put on the podcast but it's taking me some time, and I know I didn't do one on Thursday for various reasons, and then I'm a little late here on this one, so getting behind the ball this summer early on, but I uh, hope that you'll enjoy this passage from Romans chapter number 9. Have a great week. Romans chapter 9 is where we are today. We've been working through the book of Romans, as you know, as you've been here, and uh, we, we've, we've come a long way so far. We've covered some some wonderful chapters. We've just came through some of my favorite chapters. But you may remember as a quick review, Romans 1, it's kind of introductory, the first 17 verses. But then in starting in verse 18 uh, through Romans chapter 2, through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, we deal with the topic of sin. And he's, and he's t- talking about how we, the world has sinned. In chapter 2, he said, the, the Jews, you have sinned. Well, really, chapter 1, at the end, he said, the Gentiles... You are sinners, which we would be Gentiles. And he was saying, you Gentiles, you are sinners. And he, and he there were, we dealt with a lot of good verses in there that apply even to today and how sin just escalates. But it's almost like the Jews were sitting back saying, yeah, that's right, get to those Gentiles. And then he said, well, chapter 2, hey, Gentiles, you're sinners too, and you knew better. And so then in chapter 3, he brings it together. He said, the whole world, we're all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That was chapter number 3. But then at the end of chapter 3, into chapter 4, and into chapter 5, he deals with the subject, we move from dealing with sin to the subject of salvation. And in the subject of salvation, he was talking about how salvation is not by our works, anything that we do. And he illustrated that with David. He illustrated that with Abraham. But he said salvation is by faith, and it's in faith in Jesus Christ. And so beautiful passages there in chapters, end of chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. But then we got into some of my favorites. Chapter 6 says we are dead to sin now. We are in Christ. It's the subject of sanctification. He says we are dead to sin. We have a new master, Jesus Christ, who's a loving master. Not like the old master, sin. Who wants to drive us and discourage us and, and, and ruin us. Now we have a new master in Jesus Christ and a new position in Christ. And that's chapter 6. Now we said though, sometimes we go back to living under the old master. We don't need to. We feel like, oh, I have to go do what sin tells. I have to get angry. I have to worry. I have to get mad. I have to explode. Well, why do you have to? you got a new master in Jesus Christ. And we reference over to Galatians chapter 6. Chapter 7, he showed us in, in sanctification subject still, but he showed us here's what happens when we try to live the Christian life in our own strength. And remember Paul said, the things that I don't want to do, I'm doing, and the things I do want to do, I'm not doing, and I'm frustrated. Why did all that happen? Because he's trying to live the Christian life in his own strength. And then he tells us in chapters 8, hey, you got to live the Christian life in the Spirit. You now have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And he, lived, and he is who empowers you. I can't do it. Just like I couldn't save myself, I can't live this Christian life. I need Christ. And good news is he abides in me. When I got saved, he lives inside of me, empowers me to help me live victorious. All right, so 6, 7, and 8, sanctification. Now we're into a new subject. If, you're, if, you, if I had my 
If it was like my college course, and if I had the big outline on here, this would be the next S, which is the sovereignty of God. And whereas sanctification was righteousness defended, this is righteousness declined. And it's almost like some call these next three chapters a parenthesis. I don't know if I would do that, but he's going to focus on Israel for a little bit. Remember Israel, we call them God's chosen people. They are. And Israel, the last time we really zeroed in and focused on them was chapter 2. And Israel was learning how big of a sinner they were. And then they learned that their works are not going to get them to heaven. And all their following of all of these laws are not going to get them to heaven. And they just feel beaten up. And so he's going to focus on the Jews a little bit here in chapter 9. Maybe beat them up a little bit more. I say that in a kind way. and just a little bit joking on our end. This wouldn't be Paul's heart. And you'll see at the beginning. But in chapter 9, which we're going to try to cover today, he's going to deal with Israel's past. Okay, so let's jump right in. And in, I think in the first three verses, you're going to see Paul's sorrow and his pain because of where Israel is. But you also hear in the beginning of chapter 9 and next week in chapter 10, his love for Israel. Look at this. Verse 1 says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. So where's he going to go here? Well, verse 3 says something amazing. He says, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Who's he talking about? Israel. Now that accursed, you may be like, oh, we don't use that word. That's not a big deal. Here's what he was basically saying. If I, and he knows this is impossible, but if I was able to give up my salvation and be accursed, be cast into hell so that my brethren, Israel, could be saved, I would do that. He was so passionate for Israel. That's a strong statement. Because if you've studied hell, serious place. It's not like the world says, oh, I'll just go down there and party with my friends in hell. No, you're not. Darkness, eternal torment for all of eternity. No hanging out with other people. You're isolated, alone. Study the Gospels. Jesus spoke, spoke a lot of miserable place. Paul said, knowing all of that, I'd take that if I could guarantee that all of Israel, my brethren, would be saved. He was passionate about Israel. And I think he starts this way because some of them maybe even accused him. And in the book of Acts, when we studied that before, remember, they got a little frustrated because the gospel was now going out to these Gentiles. And the Jews were sitting back and we're going to get into this thinking, hey, we're the Jews. We're God's chosen people. We deserve all of these and, he's, and now you're telling these Gentiles about something special that was for us. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, the gospel is for everybody. But I do love you guys. And I wish, and I, I mean, not that I wish, but if I could, I would, I would sacrifice myself in a sense for you guys. But then he's going to give, he, he starts to talk about a little bit of the advantages of Israel. Because Israel's feeling maybe as they're reading this, it's a church of Rome. It's got Israel. It's got Jews in there. It's got Romans in there. It's got Gentiles in there. So, so they're feeling a little bit upset. And he's going to remind the Israelites, you had all of the blessings that these Gentiles did not have. You, but you guys have rejected the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Because remember, a lot of them didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They spent hundreds of years waiting for the Messiah to come. All the ladies hoping, all these Jewish ladies hoping that they carried the baby, the next Messiah, and they didn't. And they didn't understand, but they rejected Jesus when he came. 
And so now he's going to say to them in Israel in the next few verses, here's all of the blessings you have. Now look at what he says starting in verse 4. He says, Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption? So you, you, you've, you are an Israelite. That's a name of honor. You've, you've obtained the adoption. It means you have a special relationship with God. You're his chosen people. He says, and the glory. I'm going to read all of them and then come back. So he says, you got the glory and you got the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God. You got the promises. Whose are the fathers? You got the fathers. That's the prophets. Whom as concerning, and it's Moses and them. Who as concerning the flesh, Christ came. You had Jesus, the Messiah came through your seed. Who is over all and God bless forever. Amen. So he lists some things, some of the advantages of these Jews. He says, you have a name of honor. You have the special relationship with God. You had the glory. That, that glory, when you see it sometimes referred to, like sometimes you'll hear people pray. Sometimes I'll pray and say, God, we want to give you the glory. And that's one phrase. But sometimes when he's referring to Israel and the glory, it's referring to that Shekinah glory, that Shekinah cloud. You may remember in the Old Testament, it rested on the tabernacle. Remember, they could see the, the, the presence of God in that cloud. And at times when that cloud would lift and go, they were just like, hey, let's go. We're following. And the, that, that Shekinah glory, they had that. It rested on the temple. They had the covenants, the promises of God. They had the law given to them through Moses. They, they had service opportunities. They had opportunities to worship. They knew it. It was laid out for them in their law how to worship God. And then he says, after all that, he says, Christ came through your seed, his flesh forever. So he's saying, Israel, you're not rejected by God. You've rejected the Messiah. You have had all of the blessings. And I'm gonna, I think I'm going to use this quick illustration right here because we'll maybe tie back to it when we get to some difficult passages. But their frustration is going to come, and I'm going to get to this in a second, because they feel like if we're Israelites and we have all of these things that you said, then why aren't all of us just going to heaven then? Why do we have to do it? And they, they feel like because they have the blessings, they should automatically have this salvation. These Gentiles shouldn't. But the thing is, just like you and I, here's the illustration I want to share. You and I were born in America, and we are blessed. We are blessed to be born in America. I've been to Honduras on a missions trip, third world country. I mean, I'm going into dirt houses, people with no medical care, lady laid there with, I mean, bumps of cancer all over her body. No, we had to walk an hour in fields to get to where she lived in a, in a hut. No chance for her to get medical help. I wasn't a medical doctor. I didn't speak Spanish. The missionary I was with shared the gospel. I understood the word Cristo. I took three years of Spanish, but I didn't, I just because I wanted to go to Chicago on a trip. So I was it in high school. But he kept saying, Christo shared the gospel with her. I don't know if she ever received Christ. I'm sure at this point she's no, she's passed away because it's been years. But she had no. we have been blessed to be born in America. But it doesn't mean that we're all going to heaven. We have access to the gospel that some don't have in North Korea. God chose for whatever reason. And we're going to get back to this. We got chose for every reason to put Brad McClure in America to the home, to this. I grew up in this church. I grew up in this place. I, I, I have so much of that I'm thankful for. There's some other kids, little kids right now, born in North Korea. They don't have all of that. Does that mean that God's unfair? No. That means, but some, all of us have different things. And because we've been blessed, but that does not mean that I'm going to heaven because of that blessing. Just like being born an Israelite, God's chosen people, didn't guarantee they were going to get to heaven. Everyone still has the individual responsibility of choice to choose by faith Jesus Christ. 
a little North Korea boy, and there's many of them thinks there's some some very brave missionaries on the borders and things, hears the gospel and receives Christ, he's going to heaven. Some little boys growing up spoiled in America not going to heaven maybe because they don't receive Christ. So, yes, we have a lot of blessings and privileges where we're born, but it's still our responsibility. And that's important because Israel's going to say, hey, because of who I am and my blessing, I should be able to get first rights to heaven. No, no, no. You guys have rejected Jesus. If you receive Jesus Christ by faith, that's going to be the very last few verses I'm going to be rushing forward, rushing through here in a little bit, so catch that at the end. But if you receive Christ by faith, you're going to get even more blessings, the blessing of relationship with Christ. But right now, you've rejected him. So keep that in the back of your mind as we go, because this topic, we, see, we come to the topic of election in this chapter, which leads to a lot of controversy with Calvinism and everything we're not going to get a lot into. But in this election... He's not referring to, because he's talking to the nation of Israel, this election in this text is not talking about electing like certain individuals. Like, I'm electing you to go to heaven, and you definitely not going to heaven. You're going to heaven. You're going to heaven because you raised this guy. It's not that. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's an electing, he's talking about nations here. God elected the nation of Israel to be my chosen people. But salvation is still by faith, and they have to choose that. So election is dealing with with nations and there's going to be one point i'm going to get to verse 13 in a second you're going to be like ah but he names people but i'm going to show you why it's still a nation there okay so let's get first back to verse number i stopped at verse five is where i stopped let's go to six and this is where why i said everything i said he says not as though the word of god had taken none effect for they are not all israel which are of israel Neither because they are of the seed of Abraham, which is the father of Jews, are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So what is he getting here? I know it's a little difficult to understand, but what he's saying is not everybody that says, uh, is of Israel is of Israel. And you're like, what? But he's saying not everybody is of Israel is saved. Not everybody that's of the seed, the physical birth seed of Abraham is saved, but some that come, and he talks about the seed of Isaac, that's Jesus Christ. Remember, the promise was always that the seed would come through the line of Abraham and Isaac. And he's now he's trying to, he's intermingling physical with the spiritual. Okay, just because you're physically born into some family. I was physically born into the home of a deacon who's now a pastor, our pastor, and my grandpa was a pastor. I had a lot of that type of, I've heard the gospel since I was in my mom's belly. She was probably witnessing to me, but it didn't make me, at 12 years old, I had to trust Christ. And so he's saying not, not everybody that's of the seed of Abraham is an Israelite, spiritually speaking. They've received what they should have, what, what's been offered to them. Verse 8, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, physically born, are not the children of God. Because just being born doesn't make you a child of God. Just being a Jew doesn't make you a child of God. But the children of the promise, that's Jesus, are counted for the seed. Those are the ones that are saved. Those are the promise, receive the promise. He says, for this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also shall conceive by one, even our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not on works, but on him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. 
as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So now you see, oh, he says two names there. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. But you remember back in the book of Genesis when when Rebecca had those two babies in her womb and they were wrestling around and she was she was going, oh boy, and it was tough. And an angel came and said to her, in your womb is two nations. He says, Jacob, it's going to be Israelites, and Esau, which is the Edomites. And God chose the younger and not the older. Does that mean that God chose Jacob to salvation? That's what a Calvinist says. And Esau not to salvation. No, Esau could have been saved. It means God chose Jacob to be the line of the God's chosen people, Israelites. In the Edomite. And the reason we know it's not individual, because let's just name a few people. What was Rahab? She was, was she an Israelite? No. But did she trust in the coming Messiah by faith? Yes. She never became an Israelite. She didn't leave from being whatever she was, a Canaanite woman, and then all of a sudden become an Israelite to be saved. No. She's still who she was. But she placed her faith in the God of the Jews. Think of Ruth. Moabite woman. Moabite woman. She, she followed. She married a Jew. And then later placed her faith in the God of the Jews. She didn't then become a Jew. She's still a Moabite woman. And a great example. So what he's saying here is just because of, you know, God, God chose Jacob to be his chosen people. His, from his seed will be God's chosen people. Doesn't mean that anyone else cannot be saved. And when he says, Jacob have I loved, we've covered this in other topics, but Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. We, when we use that word hate, it's a big deal. It's a big, when we use the word hate, it means like, I despise you. But in, this, it, but in the Bible, in three, two or three instances where this phrase is mentioned, and it's mentioned, remember when he says, Jesus said, hey, if you're going to follow me, you've got to hate your mother and your father. Well, I'm not going to go up to my dad today on Father's Day and say, hey, dad, I hate you. Okay? <laughs> Because we have a term on when we say hate, we're like, whoa. But what it means is to, what it means is to not in priority. <clears throat> so God prioritized Jacob over Esau in that he put through Jacob's seed would be the lineage of Christ. Now, are some Edomites, Edomites going to be in heaven when we get there? Yeah, definitely. Because though he elected them to be the nation of his blessing and his covenants, he's elected one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we all have to make that choice. Verse 14, so then, he, 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 after Paul says this, it's almost like he knows some of the Jews are going to get mad. He knows they're going to be mad and say, whoa, that's not fair. We're the Jews, and you're telling us that we may not be of Israel, we may not be of the seed. So he, he, he anticipates this. So verse 14 says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God unrighteous for doing this, for allowing some Gentiles to be saved? For, for choosing Jacob and his line to be this, is God unrighteous? He says, God forbid. Verse 15, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For this scripture, let me get into that one in a second. So he's saying, listen, God can do whatever he wants. God is sovereign. God can choose not individuals for salvation, but nations. To, he chose to put me in America, and he's putting another little kid that's probably sweet and adorable in North, in North Korea. Why? China? I don't know. I don't know all of that. But all I know is that little kid has the same access to God as I do, the same amount of love from God as I do. And we both don't deserve it. 
it's just like if I came in here today, I think my dad shared a little bit of the illustration when we were praying. If I gave Ryan $20, do I owe you $20 right now as far as I know? I don't owe you anything. I don't owe him anything. If I gave him $20 right here, boom. And Jim's sitting over there going, why don't you give me $20? So I deserve $20. Well, no, I don't owe you. Do I owe you $20? As far as I know, I don't owe you $20. I don't owe you. I just decided to be extra to you. And I just gave you 20 bucks. I gave you a little knuckle punch too. Like, hey man, what's up? Here's 20 bucks. To Jim, I said, hey, glad to have you here today. You looking great, like your outfit. And he's like, hey, I deserve that $20. You don't deserve anything. I didn't know either one of you. I just decided to give it to Ryan. And the same is true. God doesn't owe any of us anything. God doesn't owe any of us anything. We are all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If he chooses to do something, give, put me in a home in America like this, I need to be thankful for that. But I didn't deserve it. But I could have been the one born somewhere else. So we got to be learn to be thankful for what we have. But God is not unfair for doing that because neither one, none of us deserve anything. We deserve God's wrath. We serve God's judgment. But if God chooses to be merciful, He can do that. He's sovereign, and sometimes this dealing with the sovereignty of God can wrap our minds and get us frustrated. God's not fair. But if God was truly fair to the extent that He should be, we'd all be wiped out. We don't deserve it. And so be thankful for what God has given you, but also share the gospel with those maybe. And that's why we have missions. And that's why someone brought up the question, I don't have time to get sidetracked with this, but you know, what about the person in the country that doesn't ever hear the gospel? Hey, God has given them general revelation to see, but that's why we also do send missionaries. And we it's a burden. We have to get missionaries to different countries to share the gospel because there may be little kids in North Korea. There may be little kids in the jungles of wherever that, that are seeking truth. They've got some light from general revelation, just seeing creation, knowing there's got to be a God out there. God loves them, and God shares, sends people to, to share the gospel. But So uh, I've got I've to keep moving here. But then he's going to get into another, another part of this where he says, let's see, verse 16, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. I already read that one, verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh. Now we come back to one that people like to go to a lot. He says unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show thy power. I just lost my spot thinking about where I'm going. That I may show thy power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom and he harden whom he will hardeneth. Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? He mentions Pharaoh here for a second. Remember Pharaoh was, God said, hey, let my people go. And he said, no. And then let my people go. And he let them go. And they changed his mind. Let them go change his mind. And there's several passages in there. People bring this up a lot because it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And they're like, whoa, God didn't even give him a choice. He hardened his heart. Well, if you do go back, and I didn't list out all of them. There's like six places where Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart, kept hardening his heart. And then God said, okay, have it your way, Pharaoh. And there's a time, comes a time for those, if they just continue to reject God, then God sometimes, like we saw in Romans chapter 1, say, hey, have it your way. But I love what one author said, I think it was Warren Wearsby, he said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And the idea behind that is this, the same God who, who's shown his 
goodness and grace to someone, Moses, in that time. And Moses melted like ice and was broken and, and trusted. The same son hardened Pharaoh's heart in the sense of he had the same opportunity, but he rejected it. And, and, and it's just depending on what's the makeup of what it is. And, and Pharaoh was one that was hardened towards God. He, re, he, he accepted the gods of Egypt. He rejected the God of Moses. And he continued to reject. And he continued to reject. And finally God said, okay, have it your way. But Moses, on the other hand, grew up under the, the gods of Egypt, but rejected that and chose by faith the God of the Jews, which we, we can read about in Hebrews chapter number 11. So, um, I've gotten away from my notes here a little bit because uh, I forgot to say a few things back there. That's fine. But he thought this first objection was that God was unrighteous, that God can show mercy on who he has shown no mercy. Talking about nations here. Um, let's see. Let's go to the second objection here. He's gonna, let's kind of read down the next verse. Make sure I'm covering everything best I can. Verse 20 says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that re repliest against God? Who are you that reply against God? Shall the thing formed, we... Saying to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hast not the potter power over the clay of the same clump, the lump, to make one vessel into honor and a vessel into dishonor? A lot of people get confused in this words vessel of honor and dishonor. We look at dishonor as like, oh, that's really bad. But I think the idea is that there's some vessels of honor. Like, I'm trying to think of the best way to illustrate it personally. Like, in our house today, we're going to have 20 some people over, okay? There's some things that we probably have out, like this new room that Shell's kind of done. We got, I got, the, we had to get the lights up yesterday. She's got her couch, her crazy picture of the, some cow there, her painted wall. It's like her, her, it's her baby. She did this room. It's kind of cool. It's a, it's a vessel of honor. So I'm, I'm sure today she'll kind of be walking some people by that room and what do you think of the room, you know? And I think some of them may be like, whoa, that's a wild room. It's cool. And others are going to be like, that's sweet, you know? But it's, Vessel of honor. But there's some other things that are upstairs in our room that no one's going to go upstairs in our room, like laundry that's just laying on our floor probably. Vessels of dishonor to us that if someone's like, hey, can I go upstairs to your room? We're both going to look at each other like, uh, no, 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 no. Not, not because they're not valuable because we all need clothes, but dirty and on the floor, it's, it's not something you want to show off. We're not walking around like, hey, look at our pile over there. What do you guys think? <laughs> Huh? Is it higher than yours? You know, it's a vessel of dishonor, okay? So there's sometimes, if, if, God, if God chooses in his sovereignty to allow some into some positions, and others in other positions, and because of my illustration now, because all illustrations have their weak points, so I'm be like, oh, so I'm just dirty laundry to God? No. But we may, not, we may be a janitor, we may be a banker, we may be whatever, and we may say, well, why didn't I get to be that? Well, hey. Shine where you are for God. Be where you are for God. And in this case, he's coming off the heels of talking about, um, well, he first says, you know, we can't, who are we to question God and, and to argue with God? But then he says in verse, let's go to verse 22. He says, what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering vessels of wrath, fitted that's a word that gets a lot of people to destruction the word fitted and if you, you can check it out if you want okay so if you want to go nerd mode with me and check this out okay but i'm taking someone's word for it because i don't not an expert at greek but the word fitted in verse 22 it doesn't suggest that god made pharaoh a vessel of wrath but the verb is in the greek middle voice 
in a reflexive action verb. Did you know that? All right, we saw that right there in your Bible. Just told you, right? But you can look it up. It is so, let me say it again. It's middle voice making it a reflexive action verb. So it means that he fitted himself. He fitted himself for destruction. And that's what Pharaoh did. He chose, he had it, the same sunlight, the same opportunities as Moses. He chose to reject that and he hardened himself towards the gospel. But back to then, and he's saying early on about Israel, he said, hey, God, he's returning this all back on them. In a sense, he said, God's been long-suffering with you. Think about how many times Israel in the Old Testament rejected God. They went after other idols, went after other idols. The prophet Elijah had to come and prove them wrong. I mean, all these different prophets had to come. They kept rejecting God. God was very long-suffering with Israel. They were his chosen people, and they continued to reject but he made he he used them to show his glory. I'm just going to go to verse 23 here. It says, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith unto also in O.C., that's a Hosea in the Old Testament. This is the Greek way of saying it. I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which were not my beloved. So what he's going to say in these next few verses is, even your old prophets, your Jewish prophets, were saying that there's going to be a people that are not Jews that are going to be called God's people. He's saying the old... Now, they may not have understood it, but he said these prophets were explaining to you guys that there's going to be people other than Israel that's going to be saved. And he said, so he says, Hosea was one. He's going to continue to mention a couple others. He says in verse 26, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah, that's Isaiah, but Isaiah is in Greek, also crieth concerning Israel. Here's what he said, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And Isaiah, Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth have left us a seed, Jesus Christ. We had been as Sodom, or Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. Here's what he's trying to say. Hey, you know what? As Israel, we have been blessed. God didn't wipe us off this earth. He's saying to his fellow Israelites, we should have been destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. We have rejected God rejected God. We've went after false gods. We've went after false gods. Our prophets have had to warn us. Our prophets had to get us. We continue to reject God, but he was long-suffering to us. He didn't wipe us out. So he's turning the tables back to Israel and saying, hey, you guys have rejected the seed. You ought to be thankful that God chose that through our seed would come the Messiah, but we still have to receive him. And that's what he's going to get to in the last few verses that lead us into next week. Because he says in verse 30, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, means they didn't have the law that they had in the Old Testament. They didn't have that Ten Commandments and stuff. That these Gentiles, having not followed the law, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. So even though they didn't keep the law, they're going to get salvation because of faith. Because remember this whole subject has been talking about salvations by faith because the Jews, still even today, many of them, though some Jews have been saved and joined churches but many jews believed still that their works are going to get them to heaven and they were struggling with this and so he anticipates this objection these people saying wait you're telling me 
that these, these Gentiles are not going to have to abide by our laws, which is not necessarily what he's saying, but, but they're still going to get the righteousness of Christ because by faith. And then he says in verse 31, But Israel, which followed after the law, we did our good works, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Why? And he says, Because they sought it not by faith. Israel, you're still trying to get it by your salvation by your works. But as it were the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. That's Jesus. They stumbled at Jesus. They just didn't understand when Jesus came, and still many Jews today, if many missionaries over in Israel today, and the Jews will get, some of them, I'm not saying every one of them, will get kind of pompous, like, you're trying to tell me I need to be saved? I'm a Jew. I'm God's people. I've heard of missionaries. Pastor Shetler used to be a missionary to Israel. And they would be like, I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm on the seat of Abraham. What are, you, what are you trying to tell me about this? And he's saying, the Messiah came. You know how you witness to a Jew if you ever do? You don't go to the New Testament. They don't believe it. You go to Isaiah 53 in some of those passages and show them how there was a coming of Messiah. And get them to agree to that, because they will. Show everything that's upon and then show them how Jesus Christ lines up with that. Many still reject, but that's what he's saying. And he's, they stumbled at Jesus. Last verse, as it was written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. If you believe on Jesus, you're not going to be ashamed. But these Jews were struggling. And remember Paul started out that chapter saying, Hey, if I could do it, I would allow myself to be accursed so that you guys could be saved. But then he breaks it all down for him right there in that text. And still some of those Jews, and even till today, are saying, Nope, I have the law, the prophets on my side, my heritage, I'm going to be okay. Salvation is only by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Let's pray.